Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Hello. How are you? How's it going? How's it going? It's going good. How are you going? Good. Let's turn up my volume. Sounds good. Sounds good to me. What's the crack with you? No crack at all. Thank you very much. <clears throat> Finally, apologies for the last day. I just, um, I'm um, a little bit disorganized as a person, but uh, I somehow, <laughs> I'm, I'm very sorry. That's all I can say. These things happen when they're meant to happen, all in good time. I, I don't get stressed out about things like that. Like, you know, Jesus, it's fairly minor stuff. Uh, so it's all good. Don't be worrying. You're very good. You're very understanding. Whereabouts in the world are you right now? I am in the Hinch. I'm just looking at my window there now and I can see the ocean coming in. So I'm kind of like halfway in between the Hinch and, and Ennis Diamond, those two little villages in County Clare. Beautiful. That's a beautiful part of the world. That is a great place to be for lockdown. It's the Keith Walsh Podcast. It's essential like your breakfast. It will get you up and going. There's the things you didn't know. Yeah, it's the Keith Walsh Podcast. It's the Keith Walsh Podcast. Give you energy like Buckfast. And if your head's in a pickle or you're looking for a giggle, it's the Keith Walsh Podcast. Yeah. Hello, good evening, and welcome to the Keith Walsh Podcast. While I adjust my chair, something I should have done beforehand, while I move to the side and... Maybe burp, maybe not. You know, if he says it was a burp, maybe I just needed to breathe. Why is it, as soon as I turn on the mic, I have to move, I have to burp, I have to... It's ridiculous. You think I'd know at this stage. I've, I worked in radio for 20 years. You know, and for like some of those years, I didn't do a bad job. I think I'd know what to do at this stage. Anyway, you're very welcome to the podcast. It's Monday evening. It's a bank holiday Monday, so it's a weird one. I'm trying to get this uh, podcast done sooner than normally. I leave it too late, and then it's like midnight by the time I finish. But I'm trying to get it get it away and up and published a bit earlier. I've been threatening to do this since about five o'clock today. It's now eight o'clock. So the procrastination is real. And for some reason, because it's a bank holiday Monday, I'm, the procrastination is realer, even more realer. And uh, and I had the whole day kind of, I could have just done it earlier. But um, I seem to have this uh, bit of anxiety over, I don't know what it is, like the week ahead. I feel like I've loads to do. I could just simply sit down uh, with a book and write out the things I have to do next week. But my procrastination anxiety is so great that I won't even allow myself to do that it's just a constant it's constant people it's constant but um no a great weekend um bank holiday weekend Easter weekend quieter than normal but I do enjoy the fact that I don't drink now so that the weekend is long you get so much into a weekend I never realized it's so much into a bank holiday Monday. Met a friend for a walk. 
like Peter. Um, <laughs> that's, I was going to like list off all these things I did. That's all I did, but it was nice. And um, yeah, what did I do? I took I, I took a trampoline, an old trampoline down in the garden on Saturday. That was my big job. Yesterday we we sort of had a special Easter dinner. I peeled the potatoes and uh, what else did I do this weekend? That was it. But it seemed like a really long weekend. And we watched half of Angela's Ashes last night because if you listen to the other podcast that I put up tonight with my Mike Marin, you will discover he reveals he has a connection with Angela's Ashes. Swear to God. Anyway, enough about my weekend. I might talk about it uh, a little bit more um, when I intro the mic chat. But I have a couple of emails. Yes, I have emails. Thank you very much. If you'd like to email the podcast, uh, it's keithwalshpod at gmail.com or keithwalsh.walsh at gmail.com. But keithwalshpod at gmail.com is the one that works. This is from... Susan. Hello, Susan. How are you? Hi, Keith. I just heard your podcast with Jason Byrne and Mar. Um, it's Marion, isn't it? On Mind Your Love. Good podcast. Dermot William was on it as well. I was on it. It's a podcast where you talk about therapy, stuff that helps you. I talked about therapy. Dermot William, I presume, would talk about meditation and all that kind of stuff. Whatever helps you with your noggin. And Jason Byrne is a funny man. And a nice guy, and Marion, his co-host, is a therapist, a trained therapist. Uh, so it was a good old chat. You should check it out. Mind Your Love is the name of the podcast. So much resonated with me regarding Irish parents. I am originally from Dublin, but I've been living in the States since 2008. I used to listen to you and Joe on spin. No way. I just started listening to your own Keith Watch podcast, How I Got the Email Address. I'm on the episode with Darren Gary. I hope you found out who your listener was in Vietnam. Never did. Never did, Susan. Still don't know who that listener was in Vietnam. Possibly someone just passing through. Thank you very much, Susan, for your uh, email. We really appreciate it here at the Keith Walsh Podcast headquarters. Email number two is from Anonymous. They want to keep their name a secret. Hi, Keith. Hope you're well. Love your podcast and Instagram page. Yes, I'm on Instagram if you want to follow me. It's Keith Walsh underscore Walsh, I think. You've kept me entertained during lockdown. I am a fellow soberista. Welcome. So it always resonates me with me when you talk about your alcohol experiences. I just finished listening to your podcast with Kate Gunn. Loved it. I laughed out loud at so much as it's so relatable and it prompted me to email you about two other amazing books that have helped me to stay off the booze. Maybe you could share them with your listeners and it could help them along their sober, curious path to lovely stuff. Uh, you describe my drink. You describe my drinking career when you describe yours. I'm 45 now, so you're vintage too. I'm doing 100 days challenge at the moment. Finished on April 10th, but no plans to drink after that. Uh, I've done loads of 30 day challenges here and there over the years, but alcohol was more like a noose around my neck. While I was only a weekend drinker, it was always on my mind, either hungover or thinking and planning the next session. I was on a good six week streak last year in January, February. Then pandemic hit at the same time as my dad unfortunately got sick. We knew he didn't have much time when he was diagnosed. He loved to drink. It's in the genes, in brackets. So 
I felt I couldn't deny him the drinking company when I spent the weekends with him in his last few months. I think that's fair enough. You know what? Like, I think I would drink for that very purpose. I would drink for somebody else. Uh, two days after his funeral in September, I gave up the booze. I did two test nights here at home after that. One October bank holiday and one at the end of December. Drinking mindfully on those nights was so interesting and made me realise I wasn't even enjoying it. So I started my 100 days on December 31st. I've never felt better, absolutely loving life, and I know it's 100% down to not drinking. Once I removed the booze, everything else fell into place. Yeah, it's so true. Anyway, the books are both by Annie Grace, an American author. The first one I read was The 30-Day Alcohol Experiment, and the second book is called the Naked Mi- uh, This Naked Mind. So The 30-Day Alcohol Experiment... I would recommend that too. And the second book is called The Naked Mind. She has a great podcast too called This Naked Mind. I think I was listen- I've was i listened to a couple of episodes of that and then kind of just forgot about it. Absolute game changers, particularly the second book. I tried and failed so many times before to give up until I read these books. The Test, I mentioned above, is something she recommends in her books. Yeah, I've heard of The Test before and actually I uh, would say that I haven't drank in 15 months but actually during lockdown... Well, it must have been in the summer last year, I did a weekend of drinking as a test. And I didn't realise it was a thing. Um, and it was just basically served to remind me why I had stopped drinking. And it was great. It was the best thing I could have done. I just didn't drink. Hadn't drunk, drank for six, seven months. Did a weekend. And I was like, bang. Right, okay. This is why I don't drink. Um, I have no connection whatsoever to Annie Grace or her company. But I really think these books are worth a mention for anyone who's struggling with doing it on their own she also did a great instagram live recently about venturing out post lockdown as a sober person wishing you continued success and best of luck with all your future ventures thank you very much you know who you are i won't mention your name appreciate it um there yeah there's lots in that um the test is good uh the 30 day alcohol experiment and the naked this naked mind i'm trying to remember the book that uh i that kind of that helped me. I got it in audiobook form. And maybe I've mentioned on the podcast before. If you would just bear with me for a moment, I shall have a quick look for it. Um, and it was actually the author who uh, who voiced it. Uh, uh, yes, we are the luckiest. I think I might have mentioned it. Uh, Laura McKeown, we are the luckiest. It's a great book. It's just about her, her battle with the booze and giving up and how she did it. And all of that kind of stuff. And uh, very interesting. There's a thing she talks about. Because um, I was talking to Mike. Mike was talking to me about my chat with Kate. Who wrote The Accidental Soberista. And uh, he was saying. We were talking about uh, getting the train. There's certain things that I miss about not drinking. One of them is you know getting on the train up to Dublin with my wife. And we'd you know, sneak a bottle, a bottle, a bottle of cava on and drink that. By the time we get to Dublin, and uh, he was going, "Well, you did, <laughs> you did drink a lot," because then we would like hit Dublin and go to a bar and drink some margaritas, and then you know go somewhere fancy and then get the last train home. Um, and she, so Laura McKeown in her book, she literally talks about not getting on the train. Um, and I always think of that when she says it. And she says not getting on the train because of a story that involves her getting on the train to go into town with a bottle of wine to meet. She'd been off the booze for months, 
but there was a going away party and she got on the train she bought a bottle of wine she was going to drink the wine she rang somebody they talked her out of it she got off the train when it stopped and went back home and didn't go out that night and hasn't, hadn't drank since um, but so, so she now describes that thing of she says don't get on the train so say for instance like here in Ireland if it's a sunny day and straight away the sun's out you're like yeah in your head you're like beer garden lovely uh, you just start you start talking yourself into it or you might be like beer garden let's or let, let's have a barbecue I won't drink it's fine but you're kind of like you know it's almost like you're, you're getting on that train to the to destination have a drink and just avoid that so if you're going through the early stages of not drinking don't get on the train if the sun comes out don't have the barbecue distract yourself by going for a walk or you know going for a run or going to play a football match or something don't do the thing that will make you think and want a drink and that's a good tip as well but thank you very much for that email any emails Keith Walsh uh, pod at gmail.com or keithwalsh.walsh at gmail.com <clears throat> now my guest is as you'll know from the title of the podcast my guest is Susan Quirk and she has an album coming out the album it will be titled and is titled Into the Sea it's coming out on the 23rd of April you can pre-order it now uh, you can go to our website it's susanquirk.com I think uh, anyway you can just google Susan Quirk and it's the first thing that comes up um, she was uh, she was a great to chat I saw uh, I originally came across Susan when I, I read this thread that someone had shared on my Instagram feed and it was how she came about making this album and we talked we kind of got into that at the start. Um, she just had a very interesting story. Susan Quirk is a singer, songwriter, musician, meditation teacher, and a multi-award winning social entrepreneur for her work in the field of well-being and mental health. She says, this is a quote from Susan, I believe music and meditation are powerful forces for healing and transformation in the world. Um, there's some great... Uh, Reviews of her music from the likes of Ray Darcy, Echoes of Sinead O'Connor and Dolores O'Riordan, A Lovely Voice, Fiekna O'Brien uh, from the Hot House Flowers, A Voice That Pulls You Right In, A Gifted Irish Artist That Needs To Be Heard, and Andrew Conway, International Irish Rugby Player. Susan has been incredibly influential on me as a professional rugby player, but more importantly in my life. Okay, um, they must have worked together. So, that's Susan. We talked about her new album which is called Into the Sea, as I mentioned. We mentioned, we talked about all sorts. We talked about music, making the album, uh, what inspired her, how she did it. Um, we ended up talking about things like the Dalai Lama and then meditation and then the Catholic Church and the mother, mother and baby homes and um, all that stuff came up and we ended up sort of trying to bless, uh, bless, bless the politicians, the two of us. We sent them a blessing and it was lovely. But I didn't expect the conversation to go where it went. It was just, um, it was a very open, free-flowing, genuine, lovely conversation. So thank you very much, Susan. And uh, I will be back with a little bit of chat after this. This is Susan Quirk. Don't forget the album Into the Sea out April 23rd. But you can uh, you could pre-order it now on her website. Well, the details will be on her website. That's it. Uh, enjoy. It is episode eighty-nine. Would you believe it? Of the Keith Walsh podcast. Oh man, um, yeah. Like I was living in Dublin for the last ten years, 
and just moved down here myself and my husband a couple of years ago and Jesus like it's been great just he's jumping in the sea every day just being in nature and just simple living you know it's a simple simple life but it's grand like what was yeah. your what was life like before La Hinch then what was Dublin life like Dublin life um Asher city life has its has its gorgeous elements as well music and gigs and lovely Japanese food uh one of the things I miss most just going out for for yummy Japanese food and like I've loads of friends I have a big community in Dublin still um but I think a point comes in life when you know those things just don't nourish you as much as they would have like in your 20s and and early 30s and I'm getting out now uh so we kind of I just start to appreciate different things like different things feel better to the system and it was just time to get out of the city and like I've lived in in other countries and spent time in California and Australia and and traveled a fair bit as well um but my grandmother is from County Clare originally and my mom is Clare Madge and my sister lives here and I would have spent a lot of my summers down here. So it just kind of pulled me back. Uh, so yeah, it's nice to be here. Brilliant. Have you spent much time here yourself? Um, I've been to Clare a bit. Um, I do like that part of the country. I would be, I suppose I'd, I'd have spent more time as a young man in Galway being from Athlone originally and going I'd have gone to the Gaeltacht in Carrow, um, and I'd be more drawn to Galway. But of late now, I've, I've like I like Milltown Malbay. Um, I'd have gone down there with friends for the Willie Clancy Festival. Really yeah, yeah. My sister lives there. It's a good old spot. Uh, so I mean, like Clare is just a, another world. West Clare, especially, you know. Yeah. Um, so and the West it's. Coast. Right. Yeah, it's funny. West Clare, West Cork, uh, Carrow, they're all kind of, there's a different, it's a different world, you know, um, but I love it. I love it. I, and and I would, I mean, I, I'm talking to you and you talking about living there. I, I'm very envious and I feel like um, I live in Newbridge and Kildare, which is a lovely town and, you know, it's a great place to live, but it's not like a statement place. You, do you know what I mean? Like it's, it's a it's a town in Kildare, you know. Lahinch has a has a mysticism about it. Even city living in Dublin has you know has a thing. Newbridge is there's a it's a bit wishy washy, you know what I mean? But yeah, every place has its beauty, though it does it's like groundedness, rural life. Yeah, I have to say, actually, I live on the edge of the Curra, which is my savior. So that's got it. That's a beautiful place. If I just drive out of my estate and just go left and there's a big expanse of just openness and uh, that's kind of beautiful. That's like, that's like the seaside, but it's made of green. <laughs> Good for the head to see all that green nature, nothing like it. And the only thing about West Coast living is the feckin' weather. Like, oh man, um, it rains a lot. And like we kind of live up on a hill and like it's where the house would take off some nights with the howling wind. Um, but sure, look, every place has its its good bits and it's it's uh, all right bits. But yeah, I, I struggle with the weather. Like I'm, I'm always dreaming of being in Australia, fantasizing about being in Australia and 
getting to, to other lands. But look, to be here right now with everything that's going on, I kind of couldn't be any place better. It's good. It's good out of spot. I um I wanted to get in touch with you because of the story you told on Twitter. Mm. Um, you did a little thread about. I mean, I suppose it's people might call it manifestation. Somebody might say it was the universe. You put something out into the universe, and you know the universe will answer you if you if you make the effort. <clears throat> um, maybe just I suppose try and explain to people. Just, just that thread of a story. Then we can get into other stuff around that as well. But what, yeah. what made you decide to? I mean, obviously, you, you, you had some music coming out and stuff was happening, so you needed to tell people about your journey, as as it were. Um, so what prompted that? And tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, I really thought about whether or not to put that out there because I'm quite a private person. I don't share that much publicly. Um, like I have my work and I use social media platforms for my work and, and all of that kind of thing, but I don't usually share personal stuff. And that's always the stuff that is most interesting, right? Always like, it's like, oh no, the other stuff is boring. People are just yearning for human connection and real, real stuff, real life stuff. So yeah, the thread was basically the journey of, of wanting to make an album and how I made the album. And it took me 10 years to, as I said in the thread, to kind of from it being a seed in my mind, uh, kind of an obsession, really. I, I just had this feeling in my belly and in my heart. I was like, I need to make an album. I'll go mad if I don't. Um, I kind of sometimes I can see, you know, the way you can see whys in a road or different timelines. And I knew if I didn't make an album that I'd get depressed, like that something, some part of me would fall away or some part of my soul would die if I didn't do it. Um, and so, yeah, like I shared a little bit about my friend Fiona Faye, a beautiful soul. My God, she was so radiant. One of my best friends, like my age, and she was a writer and she was writing a screenplay for a movie. And just she just randomly said, Suze, I want you to to write a song for this movie. And she'd heard me sing, you know, just singing covers and messing around when we hung out and I something just happened in me when I got that invitation and I vividly remember like that week it was about 11 half 11 I was at the sink washing up the dishes and I got this feeling in my body it was like something was it was like this force and I know it sounds like a funny thing to say but it was like this energy pumping through my body and I just had this feeling that you need to write a song sit down pick up the guitar and write up the song and I had such resistance to it. I was almost like clinging to the plates. Like I prefer to do fucking washing up here. Like I don't want to write a song. I had such fear around it, such resistance. And uh, anyway, I walked into the sitting room, picked up the guitar and for 20 minutes, there was my first song. Um, all because Fiona had given me that invitation. And then, you know, Fiona, unfortunately passed away from cancer uh, a few years ago. Um, but our, around that time as well, we had we went to the Galway International Arts Festival and went to see the frames. Um, I love the frames and I've been going to see them for years. And that night she just whispered in my ear, she's like, Suze, you're going to play with those lads someday. And I was like, talking about like, you know, uh, pint of cider in like talking crap. Uh, I just kind of laughed at the notion. And yeah, 
lots of mad magic things happened uh, over the next year. Um, myself and my husband, Rory, had been involved in bringing the Dalai Lama to Ireland. We organised a big event in Dublin with Afri and, and Richard Moore, Children in Crossfire. Um, Richard is a, is a good friend of the Dalai Lama's. And at, at that time, we got Colin McAnumra from the Frames to play at that gig. And then Rory became friends with him. And anyway, loads of mad stuff happened. But Rory um, was chatting to Colm and said, Suze has written these songs. Like, if you're ever swinging by the house, will you come in and play? So sure. Then Colm Mac, Colm McNamara ended up being the first person to ever jam my songs with me. Like, couldn't make it up. Like, I've been going to see him for years and he was kind of one of my musical heroes. Like, his music is just so powerful and transcendental it just brings it into another space really healing music um and then there he was in my sitting room you know the first person to ever play my songs with me and then that night he told me to go he's like you need to go hang out with this other fellow this other column column Quirney. and at the time I was so excited about playing with column Mac column McAnumra that I just kind of forgot about it and I didn't follow through and then I was at Body and Soul uh, at the festival and went to see Colin McAnumra play on stage. And I went and grabbed two cups of tea and I went and just sat down on the grass just what, near this woman. You beautiful long black hair and a little, a little girl that was running around. And I looked down and her two hands were on the ground. And I was like, Jesus Christ. I was like, we've got the same ring. Like for my engagement ring is a, an opal bluey green opal gold ring I didn't go for the old diamond and she had the, a very similar ring um like almost identical but she had designed it in in the states she's American and it was just like this is crazy like just weird that we just sat down beside each other and then her daughter started jumping on me and licking my face and kissing me Kaifina is her name and it was just all this mad stuff happening and then she said Oh, my husband, Colm Kearney, is up there on stage playing with Colm McAnumra. I was like, Jesus Christ, he told me to hang out with you and Colm. So like just all this mad synchronistic stuff. And then I started hanging out with them and playing my songs. And Colm Kearney had a recording studio at the Cube in Dublin. And he was like, do you want to make an album? Do you want to make your album? And I was like, yeah, <laughs> do I what? And I remember driving home that night from their house and I rang my mother I don't even think I've told them this, but I rang mom and I said, my life, my life has changed tonight. Like my life has, has changed. Like I could just, something big shifted. And then Colin Kearney invited a load of amazing musicians, Graham Hopkins, um, Colin Mack, Justin Carroll, Robbie Malone, like all oh, serious musos to come together to make my record. Um, and then we made it. So I'm just in the process of getting ready to release it now on April 23rd. Um, but that's a kind of a rough, rough sense of the whole thing. Yeah. That's mad. Cool. Yeah. It's brilliant. It's brilliant. Everything. There's so much in that. There's, you know, I mean, you know, uh, just, I mean, your friend who sadly passed away, Fiona. Is, is that Fiona Faye. Yeah. You know, you can't help but thinking you can't help but feel like there's there's other forces and you know for a feeling you know it's it's too it's too obvious too many coincidences too many yeah um i mean look it's like i always say 
you know, um, you can't just pray. You can't just be lying in bed praying that you'll catch the bus. You have to actually be running for the bus as well at the same time. But uh, but all that kind of stuff is just. I mean, I'm 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 kind of obsessed with these kind of stories and um, things working out like that and. It's just brilliant. Uh, I mean, first of all, I'm delighted for you that you've you've got your album coming out, and um, I kind of know Graham because I I, met, I worked he, did, he he helped out with a festival over in Clan. Um, oh yeah, and uh, I kind of helped a little bit organize that, and so I got to meet him there. But he's just such a nice guy, and those such musicians to work with and I, I i like the way you just casually dropped in somebody was that you brought over you brought the dalai lama over to ireland and did you say your husband is his friend who, who no your so, husband's friend richard is his yeah, friend. yeah so richard moore is a guy from Derry. oh god his story is unbelievable and richard was shot and blinded by a british soldier and basically this is when he was a child. He was very young. I can't remember the exact age now, so forgive me if I mix up the details. And he, over the years, he went to find the soldier who shot him. He wanted to find him and speak to him. And basically, they came together and he forgave him. He forgave him for blinding him. And so then they kind of went and they spoke in different platforms, like the British soldier and Richard, the two of them together, speaking about the power of forgiveness. Wow um and their journey and like obviously that didn't happen straight away forgiveness is such a deep process and it takes time but they both showed up and they met each other and they were then invited over to meet the Dalai Lama in I think in India and the Dalai Lama is cracked about Richard Moore like mad about him like Apparently he was like coming up, tickling him and cuddling him and messing with him. And he calls Richard Moore his hero, like, because he is the embodiment of forgiveness, you know, being shot and blinded, like his life, he could have chosen a different path. Um, and it's not, forgiveness is a very, very difficult journey to go, to go on, but he, he went on it. So he was, he was friends, good friends with the Dalai Lama, but Rory and I were in our kitchen in Dublin, Rory McKiernan, me fella, he's a legend. And we were saying, God, we'd love to create this event that like brought together elements of social justice and like and like peace and compassion and love. And like, how can we bring all these things together? And so Rory said it to Joe Murray, who's the CEO of AFRI, a peace and justice organization. And then Joe said, oh, should I chat to Richard? Maybe he brings the Dalai Lama over for a trip. So he asked like for the crack. And then the whole thing just took off like it flew and we, Mary Robinson and Keila and oh, it was gorgeous, like absolutely beautiful event. Um, so that was a bit more magic and flow. Yeah, it was a lovely, lovely event. Is it true that the Dalai Lama said that? Did I imagine that? Or does Say that, that again now. Your, your audio went there for a second. Is it true that the Dalai Lama's second in command lives in Ireland in Meath or somewhere or Cavan? Or... Oh, there's a place called Jampaling, a Buddhist yeah. centre in Cavan. I don't know if he's his second in command now, but uh, I know there's a Buddhist centre up, up in Cavan, all right. Um, I'm not sure what the story is there, though, in terms of his, his right-hand man or woman. 
I think I, I was listening to Tommy Tommy Tiernan's podcast and he was talking about this guy who lives in Cavan and I think he said he was the Dalai Lama second in command or something, okay. which is which is kind of mad, which made wow. me want which made me want to go there and find out more. But um it's fascinating. And and uh, Rory obviously seems to be I know you mentioned about somebody showing faith in you and yeah. like, you know giving you the belief and saying yeah sure give it a lash uh he seemed to be that kind of that kind of influence that kind of soulmate you know yeah like I've never met anyone like Rory like he's he's so amazing he's so generous and kind like he's just constantly helping people like and not in a martyry like wanky kind of way like it's just who he is and like when he heard me singing um like donkeys years ago we're together like 13 years now um he just thought I was great and he's like Jesus this is a because he loves music we're mad music heads and he's like oh deadly like she sings as well as everything else sound um and he he's just constantly encouraging me and you know like everyone has times in their life when you just don't feel worthy and your self-belief is on the ground and whatever and he's just constantly constantly loving me and supporting me and, and encouraging me come on come on come on we can do this like and I'll be eternally grateful for him for that yeah he's such a beautiful man amazing man and what was your music uh where was your music as a young person like like where did you start did you play instruments did you like how did that all kick off like where was your influence from are you from a musical family yeah my dad uh Bertie uh I call him Bop Bop he played in a rock band called the Hijackers back in the day and he's lots of stories of a great crack and and so like I grew up with him playing the guitar and singing every day and my mom was a mad music head as well. And so I was kind of surrounded by music. Um, and then I would have like been classically trained in the piano and Sister Philomena with her shtick, banging the shtick off the piano. Like you'd go in with a pain in your stomach. You'd be shitting yourself, you know, like what was going to happen this week. But my God, she was an amazing teacher. Um, and so I, in my teenage years, like I was been playing classical piano for hours every day and did all the grades and all that kind of stuff. Um, And then I went to college and stopped playing music and started drinking pints and uh, just completely stopped music altogether. Uh, But it was always in me. It was always kind of in my guts. Like you don't, I think it goes into your cells, like that amount of training, it's just in you, in your bones. And then uh, I went to university, I did communications in DCU and did a fair bit of traveling, but then I came back to a body firm at Rock School for a year. Uh, I always like say, Jesus, who I dropped out of a body firm at Rock School after one year, <laughs> dropping out of Rock School. But that was even great, um, uh, just to be surrounded by music and crack. So yeah, just bit by bit, tipping away all the time and playing songs and teaching myself the guitar badly. Um, but. Yeah, who drops out of rock school? Rock school is where the dropouts go. Susan. I know. I dropped out of rock school. Like, I mean, Jesus. That's, that is rock and roll. I should put that in my CV. Yeah. <laughs> rock school dropout. That's the name of your album. <laughs> that's, that's album number two. Yeah. Do you and, play music yourself, Keith? Uh, like, I, I'm a wannabe. Wish wish I was. Like, play. I play. I used to play. I 
played the guitar, but I don't play it now. And it's gathering dust in the corner. And I keep saying I must get it restrung and bring it into. You like to? Yeah, I'd love to. I have a. It's it's something is I just definitely have a block with it for some reason. Um, and uh, I've sort of made a promise to myself this year that I'll I'll get it restrung and start playing. Try and play it every day. It's it, it, the guitar is like one of those things. If you don't play it every day. You're, you're, you know, it's, it's a disappointment every time you try. But uh, I played when I was young, and my father would have played, and my mum and dad actually played music in bands. And um, yeah, there's definitely some block with me there, which I'm kind of trying to work on. And I do like to sing, and I did like I played, I played gigs in school, and sixth year I would have played gigs and wrote songs and stuff like that. I go away. So it's like a kind of um, there. It's an itch there that need that I it's something that I've neglected I think in myself, um, so you know. Is soon. it calling you? Like is it calling you? Well, it's like one of those things you just don't know. I I think I just need to do it for myself because I'm the type of person that would have always been like um if I'm not brilliant at it I don't bother trying and in recent years I've gotten better at the process of something and enjoying the process rather than thinking about the finished product. Um, so that's something I've been working on. So I think that I could go back to it and just enjoy it for what it is and try and just get better at playing um, yeah. for my, for myself. So that's it. Uh, and you sing? <laughs> I sing. Yeah. I love singing. Yeah. Yeah. I've been, I've done, I, I studied, drama in college for a couple of years did a couple of musicals sing badly but okay I'd get away with it sort of um I enjoy singing it's it's definitely something I love um but I measure myself off other people which is bad um and I I'm trying to like I would always encourage other people to just do whatever they do in their own style and I, I like I'm a big band fan of a band called Pavement sort of a slacker group who don't particularly feel the need to sing particularly well i put it on the car with my son and he's like dad that guy can't sing and i'm like well that's that's his thing that's his style he's just he's doing his thing you know so i'm very forgiving of other people and their style but when it comes to when it comes to me i i i try i I don't know why i measure myself against other people so um Mm. someday someday i'll get I'll do it. You know what? Like perfection, and it's something again, Colin Querney, that he taught me. Um, because I'm a feckin' perfectionist as well, and it's such a it's like a stranglehold, like like being in prison, and it just it crushes your creativity and that expansion inside you. It's it's soul crushing. And he said to me one time, he was like, his favorite, one of his favorite parts of gigs is when the musician fucks up. Um, because when everything's so slick and the sound is so perfect, like when someone makes a mistake or it sounds, it's like, oh, they're a human. That's a human up there, like, you know, and I that always stayed with me. I was like, I love that because we're just all humans, like in a big soup of energy together, like, and that authenticity just feels right in the belly, you know, rather than this complete slick production that just sounds like a record. Yeah, there's a, there's a song... Uh pavement have and I can't remember the name of it but there's a mistake in it and I think they're playing the, the recording song as live all together and he gets lost in the middle of the song and actually goes oh I kind of got lost a bit there and then starts singing again 
and it's just it's just they released it like that and it's my my favorite thing and i i have a thing about i speak to musicians sometimes on the podcast and they talk about click tracks and uh you know keeping in time and everything being like perfect and having that full sound and you know i just that you know just that wouldn't be for me you know i i much prefer uh to see a kind of a slacker band getting up there and yeah. just <laughs> doing whatever they do in the moment, you know? Big time, yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, but I'm, I'm, I was just fascinated by, by, by you and your story. So you, so when did you, like, when did you, have you just started, because there's st- you've stuff on Spotify. Yeah. Um, which I've listened to. Like, how long is that? When did you start telling other people about your music and putting it out there and releasing it? I think I released my first song maybe three, three years ago. But like, I'm awful slow. Like, um, and again, that's my husband. Like, he just pushes me. Like, honestly, I know this is so cliched, but like the joy in it for me is writing the music and being in a studio recording that is heaven like being in the studio oh my god it's like my eyes used to sparkle so much like I thought they were going to explode out of my head like you know when you go for a pee and you look in the mirror washing the hands like when I was in the studio and my eyes would be like popping like with just joy and light and like that for me is is the yummy part like I don't have that much of an interest in the release part of it um, but I've been told I need to have an interest in the release part of it because you have to honor what you created, like, but it doesn't excite me. It doesn't like I got a recent big feature piece on, on a newspaper and picked up the newspaper and I was sitting on the counter and I just said to Rory, I was like, is there something wrong with me that I don't feel anything? Like I don't get any feeling in my belly when I see these things. And then I was like, am I broken like or what's up with me like I just don't get any joy from that side of it does nothing for me but I know that I have to honor the album and part of that is to show up for its release right um but the joy is definitely in the writing and the recording aspect of it for me uh an artist once described it to me he said when I when people see my painting that's for them to enjoy my enjoyment is finished because my enjoyment is in the process. Yeah. Um, exactly. But then it's up to other people what they want to do with it and how they want to perceive it or enjoy it. Or his, yeah. jo- his, his job is done kind of. So that's it. That's it. And I remember hanging out with this very well-known musician and I had the maddest experience with him. I went up to him and I was chatting to him after and I was just like, I, I just said, like, I love your music. Your music is so beautiful. And it was like, it just went straight through him. It was like, there was no feedback. It was, it was bizarre. Like it was, I never had that experience before. It just did not, you know, someone might say, oh, thanks, sir. It was just very neutral energy. Um, and then afterwards I was chatting to him and I said it to him. I was like, I told him my experience of telling him his music is beautiful. And he said, Susan, it's none of my business what anyone thinks of my music. None of my business. My music is to be the channel and the vessel and just transmit. 
And it's not that he, it wasn't in a crude or a harsh way. It was so beautiful, like how he spoke to it. It was mm. almost like kind of Zen master wisdom, like, you know. Um, but I, I really took that with me. And like, yeah, you write music, make music. And sure, anything else that comes from it is just a cherry on top. Like, Yeah, it's like, as I have, people have said to me and I repeat, it's like you, you, all you do is throw the pebble into the water and the ripples look after themselves that's separate almost you know your job is to throw the pebble but then I saw I saw um, a documentary uh, it was a chat on BBC with um, Dave Grohl from the Foo Fighters and he was talking about being in you know creating the Foo Fighters after Nirvana and just kind of gigging and then getting to doing it for a few years and being you know successful enough and and then getting to a point where they're just kind of bored with this and but then he said something clicked. They played a gig, a charity gig in Wembley. And they'd just kind of gotten back together again and decided to just like try and enjoy it um, and not sort of take it too seriously. Um, and they went out and they played. So there's a big, Wembley was full. He just said to the lads, let's just fucking go out and enjoy this. Let's just play the hits. And he said, for some reason, like where he would have been before, like, what way do I stand? What way do I hold my guitar? What way is my hair? What, you know, how do I look? He decided for that gig, he was just going to go out and be a fucking rock star. And, mm-hmm. you know, like, sort of like the Messiah arriving up on stage and just be like fucking, you know, I suppose it's like the difference between a performance and a command performance, you know, that he just, you know, uh, something clicked in him. And then... And then I think what I thought was something clicked with him in that he saw something else in the performance of his songs. Whereas the, the creating of the music is very interesting and the coming up with the songs, by the time the album comes out, you might be a bit tired of it and you might not want to tour, but you have to because that's where the money is. And if you want to be a musician, you have to earn money. And that can be the slog then, the touring and the play. Mm-hmm. But there seemed to be something in him that he went, okay there is enjoyment it's a separate thing mm, yeah it's like going out and be getting the lead role in your favorite musical it's guys and dolls and you're playing the part of you know whatever the guy's name is you're playing the frank sinatra part it's someone else's music but you're gonna fucking give it socks mm. you know it was interesting to see that and 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 he said in that gig, he said to the crowd, he said, we're going to come back here and play four nights here at Wembley. He said he said he was off his head on the dopamine, oh, yeah. the buzz, the fun. The, you know, he was being the big rock star. And he said, he just said it in the moment. And they did. They came back and they played to a packed Wembley. And he says he just loves it now. He loves... It's, it's, it's an interesting thing to see, you know? Gorgeous. So maybe... Uh, Maybe you're, you know, I just feel like it's a different thing, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And then obviously you've this kind of symbiotic relationship with the crowd and and what what can happen in the space between people. Yeah, it's a whole different thing. You're right, for sure. Um, but then that's separate to like marketing and communications and all the digital. My God, there's like a gazillion things you have to do to release music online as you know um and that all has to be done as well and then you get the magic moments as well 
all part of it, right? Mm. Yeah, I do find it hard to feel joy out of a newspaper article about stuff you've done. Yeah. Unless you're able to use it to promote something good for somebody else. Um, I don't, I never liked doing just stuff about a TV show that you were doing or a radio show that you were doing. That's kind of like, but if you could talk about mental health or you could encourage somebody to go to therapy or you could, you know, find a thing, find a purpose in it for somebody, yeah. for somebody else, then it's like it becomes a different thing, you know, because you're not talking about yourself. You're talking about your experience. And like the, th- the, 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 the thread that you put up was very interesting for me because I was like, okay, that's, that's how it works if you put your faith in the universe and people and follow a path and take the boxes and take the steps, you know, that, that, yeah. that, that was helpful to people to hear that. Yeah. And that's kind of where I'm reconciling the whole thing because I'm a meditation teacher as well. And I weave all that stuff. I've been working in the field of mental health for about 14, 15 years. And um, I can weave all that stuff into the communications aspect of it too, right? Exactly as you say. And like, if there's one tiny little nugget in something you say, like there has been for me over for, for years, you just get one little nugget and it goes into your belly and you're like, yeah, I can work with that. So it's, just, I guess, to be of service, like in a loving way uh, to others through whatever platform you're given, like, and be deeply respectful of that platform. Like it's a privilege to, to be given any kind of platform. And I really think that because of the last year, people, I mean, maybe it's just the people I'm talking to, maybe it's my, the, the, maybe it's me, but I feel like people are ready to think differently. Like we, I think in this country, we used to worry about, you know, not, if we don't have religion, if we don't have the Catholic church, you know, what does that leave? Where does that leave us? And what have we got? Well, we've got spirituality, which we always had long before the Catholic church came along. So it's there. And I think that people are thinking more along those lines. I think it's a good time to talk to, I think people are, I could be wrong. I think people are open to it now. Yeah, absolutely. 100%. Yeah, there's, there's new realms of, of discussion and awareness opening up. And like we have such access to knowledge and wisdom and books and conversations and indigenous cultures, traditions and wisdom traditions. And it's all open. And like these are all the conversations I'm having as well. And it's a beautiful thing to behold. Like um, because Catholic Church um, obviously is of service to many people, but it's not to many as well, right? Um, and it's hurt a lot of people. Um, like uh, I'm connected in with the, um, some people who are involved in the mother and baby homes stuff. Um, and also with the Stand for Truth event that Colin McGorman, the, the CEO of Amnesty, would have run a couple of years ago. You know, we're looking at that deep levels of abuse here and patriarchal um, strangleholds again that, are, that just have crushed so many people um, and crush the feminine spirit um, where women were, were not allowed to have a voice. Like when you look at the mother and baby's homes stuff, like it takes two to tango. Like, you know, it takes two people to create a child and women were demonized, demonized. Um, 
And it's the same, like if you look back at old books, like I'm reading books about Mary Magdalene and, uh, you know, Jesus and like the, the feminine was was named a whore, like, um, and this has been really deeply entrenched in the lines ever since. And it's, it's if any woman is deeply connected to her sexuality or to ritual or to ceremony, um, or they have healing qualities or they worked with herbs, like, I mean, what's that Christy Moore song? Like nine million women were burned, were, were, were killed, like for these qualities of, of whatever you want to call them, be it to the divine feminine or, or, or just healing energy. Um, and I see that through my links with, with women. I have a good friend, Laura Murphy, and she just did a beautiful piece on the Abbey stage. It was a, on Patrick's stage. I don't know if you heard about it. It was called Home. And they brought in loads of people who, were, who read letters and testimonies. It's one of the most powerful things I've ever seen on the main stage of the Abbey, speaking about the damage that was done to them through, it was basically like incarceration. Like women were forced to go into these homes. Like and their babies taken off them and sold. Like it's utterly devastating what what the damage that came from that time. Um, and then like you hear of, have you ever heard of being churched? This practice of being churched, like women forced to crawl on the ground, like up to a priest to be to be told you're blessed and you're clean now from having had a child. Like how dare they like? Mm. And you know. I, it just makes me feel ill when I think about that damage. But the other side is I know that people get deep relief and faith in their connection to the Catholic Church and the rituals of communion and confirmation and the community around all of that. So it's not all black and white. like, um, And I understand there's a lot of beauty in it as well. But by God, have they done a lot of damage um, to many people as well. Mm. Yeah, I do understand that people get a lot of solace from the Catholic Church, but they also need to demand that the the people that they that they demand they need to demand that these people behave better and do better, um, and that comes down to I mean, if you have a religion that depends on fear to survive, rather than encouragement and positivity, that's that there's you know that's a red flag straight away. You know, what are you afraid of? What are you trying to protect? What's the, what's your, you know, what the, what game are you playing? What, you know, what I, I, I just, it's the fact that we decided to, when we got our freedom as a, as a, as a Republic, we decided to align ourselves with some, you know, an organization probably worse than the Brits was, was a very sad day and um, terrible, terrible things happened. And unfortunately, like we 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 think that we're an open, a more open, and forgiving and um, vulnerable and aware and awake society. And yet, the report that came out recently was probably they almost doubled down on what they did to those women. Like it was an absolute abomination. It was it was a, it was disgusting. It was disgraceful. You know, what, what, who are they trying to protect? You know, you're, you're just like, are you trying to save money here? Are you, are you worried about people looking for compensation? Because you've yeah. wasted, you've wasted money on worse things than, than, you know, you spent money on worse things than giving money to women who need it because of what you did to them. 
it's astonishing how we <laughs> nothing happened. It, they made it worse, and the, now that now they're just it's like let's just move on now. Like I don't even know what to do. I I don't even know. It seems to be just like it's 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 happened and we're moving on now, everybody. So. Yeah, no, we're not moving on. There's waves I'm connected in with a lot of people who are working in this space and it's bubbling up from the surface. Like there's a lot of power being reclaimed here um, and stories being told. And like there's a lot of sexual um, abuse survivors as well who haven't been paid, right? Something that that's corrupted and rotten at the core. And yes, I know there's a good side as well, but there is a... Uh, like it is a patriarchal um, organization that's exceptionally wealthy. Like, you know, there's stuff going on here. Like, um, and p- people in, in, in that space, if you admit uh, you're wrong and that just is going to open up a whole other world of pain for you, right? So you have to like double down exactly like say and not admit fault. Um, like when I saw that statement from the Pope about gay um did you see that there was it two weeks ago about it's a sin they can't give a blessing to gay couples because it's a sin I don't know if you saw that it came out about two weeks ago and I just had such rage pumping through my system that a global organization corporation um can put out a global message like that when LGBTQI you know people have suffered so deeply um and I think that statement will cause a lot of damage, like, because, yeah, I, it's I, like, so hurtful. I, I I feel like it might have been, I think, I feel like there might be changes afoot. I, there's a there's a fellow, Father Paddy Byrne, and he he actually married myself and my wife. Um, and he tweeted today, 20 years of my priestly ministry, I have been involved in blessing ceremonies of every description, including blessings of pets, cows, crops, rings, cars, tractors. Yet a same-sex couple who request a simple blessing on their union must be turned away. This is not Christianity. Yeah, exactly. How beautiful and courageous of him. And you know what? I have two aunts who are nuns and like they're the most amazing, kind, compassionate people. Like they've They've been in service their whole life lives. One is a teacher, um, Mary, and my other aunt, Anna, uh, did social work in Dublin. And all they've done in their lives is, is be in service to their community, like pure love. And like the priest where I'm from in a little village called Ula, like he's an amazing priest, like, you know. So like there's so many beautiful, loving, good people in the system as well. I'm not like blasting the whole thing. And I do think change is afoot. Like for for him to have released that statement is really powerful and and so healing. And yeah. I, I I think he's a parish priest as well in uh, in in Port Leash. So that's that's quite a you know it's quite a statement for him to make, and it's good to see it. it, it like change is slow, but I, I you know I just I, I don't understand why we have to align ourselves. We, you know, there's there's you know there's the Muslim faith. There's you know. Yeah the catholic faith and i think all these i think these are great facilities for people and i think as yoga is and as you know being a buddhist or you know i think i i, I would encourage that wholeheartedly but as yeah. a as a country we don't need to we don't need to be a buddhist country or a separate you know let's let's yeah. keep let's keep the education system separate let's keep you know decisions about laws separate let's you know it, it's not it, 
it's not nothing to do with the church. That's what we that's where the country and unfortunately I think Fianna Gael and Fianna Fáil had an opportunity to go, you know what? I mean, it would have been so brilliant for them as a party to become part of where we need to be now as a country. If they if if the Michal Martin or whoever, you know, said this, you know, this report is not good enough. He could have just said that. He could have bought himself time. He could have said, this report isn't good enough. We're just going to, like, we're, we're going to do it all over again and buy, buy yourself mm-hmm. a bit of time and start again and do it properly and really think about what you're going to do and say, yeah. no, this is, these women have been treated disgracefully and now we're doing it again. They really missed an opportunity. Why like, do you think they do that? Why do you think they don't step into greater power around it? Fear uh, and... The, I don't know because that would have been they could have if, if if as a PR exercise if they were just purely being like worried about their image right that would have been a a stroke of genius if they had the courage and the balls to say this isn't good enough we need a new report we need an independent report we're going to do this properly we're going to make sure these women are looked after and this is the first time in this country like we're going to be the government that say this is the first time that we actually look after the women of this country. Like even saying that, even if they kick the can down the road for a little while after that, but it, like, I don't, I don't understand. I really don't understand. I don't know what they're gaining from it. They're, they're, they're losing followers as a party. They're, they're becoming irrelevant. They don't matter anymore. People just don't care what they have to say anymore. And, and just somehow by trying to protect themselves, and double down on what they did before they've actually made it worse for themselves. Yeah. I, I don't know. Do you do you know? No, what's coming to my mind? Did you see Angela Merkel? Did you see her apology recently? It was on telly or on social media over the last weeks. She did this unbelievable apology to the people of Germany and she she begged them for their forgiveness because of some lockdown measure she had said. And she said, I, I'm asking you all for, for your forgiveness, please. You know, I, I messed up. Like, I just thought it was so powerful. Like, um, and I think someone has to have gone on their own journey, you know, do some inner work, like, to have been able to, to transmit that. And, like, you see Nicola Sturgeon, like, she's an amazing leader. And, and Jacinda, her in New Zealand. And, um, and it's not just a family and masculine thing obviously there's an amazing male leaders um but i think people have had to have must have gone on their own internal journey and inner exploration to connect with their own power and accountability and responsibility to be able to to get in a stage and to speak in that way and maybe our leaders um just I think like how people think about how people are funneled into the political system right like what pulls people in um how do they get there like and it's like are are they really in service to the people or are they interested in power you know and and maybe it's a bit of both like and there's a spectrum i don't know i'm sure they're they're good people um but we're definitely we have like a leadership crisis in this country like where someone needs to take ownership you know this whole sense of like kite flying that's happening around covid messaging like i find that so cowardly like on, on one level like we just want someone to come in and say, look, this is what we're doing. We've got this, like, 
Whereas they're kind of dipping their toes and, oh, let's see how this goes on a PR level and then pull back. And it just doesn't feel safe, you know? You know what I mean? It doesn't yeah. feel like we're in safe hands. But there's a huge amount of freedom in vulnerability and saying we're we're we we're looking we're we don't know what we're doing we messed up we're going to try and do better like you don't have to be out there pretending that you've got everything under control and and as you say like that's maybe that's a personal journey thing and 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 maybe they are you see, you can be a, a you can be a, a victim of groupthink as well, and yeah. you know your think bubble or whatever you want to call it. You're you're all in the same boat, and you're all agreeing that you know, yeah, that's the right thing to do, and everybody's just saying the same thing, and you're not, you know, you're not. There's no outside influence. Um, but I do think that you know, for I don't want to get too wanky, but I do think there's a we're at a period here where, okay. When we got our independence and maybe what dev decided this country was going to be the type of country this is going to be we were going to be we we're going to align ourselves with the catholic church we we're going to have you know bring up these strong uh, well-educated well-drilled young men and then you know some second-class citizen women who would have children as well and you know we'd worry about them later we're not really going to yeah. about them. but but it was he he obviously felt like we needed i don't know what why but but all those reasons and i think somebody said it was a russian i can't remember who said it but she said you're voting for dead politicians or you're you know you're voting for mm-hmm. we're still voting for dead politicians like they're yeah. gone like i think it's that all the reasoning behind doing the things the way that we're done and this stiff upper lip and you know stoicism bad stoicism it's not serving us anymore. Um, and we are the generation who went out and experienced things and traveled and, you know, maybe took drugs or maybe, you know, we, we expanded or, or we, we thought we think differently. This is not suiting us. It's not serving us. And I think that they're just getting caught behind where the country's actually at and they don't know, what to do yeah wouldn't it be lovely if they just said that yes like when i saw that merkel ask i that i recommend watching it like it's i've never seen a politician do that before in that way it's very powerful um but something else i've been thinking about loads recently and i don't know if it's connected or not but it's coming into mind now is um and again i see it through my own work um and my own journey is that like we were never taught how to be with pain, right? And be with trauma and pain. Like we were never taught how to hold pain. And like, usually when, if we experience pain in any way, we do three things. We like numb ourselves from it, distract ourselves or entertain ourselves. And like what I've learned throughout my own work is that like pain is actually deeply intelligent like pain has such an intelligence that's alerting us to something inside of ourselves that we need to pay attention to and like it actually takes so much more energy to dodge pain like you know dodge it dodge it dodge it rather than to just sit in it like and feel it and like allow it to be digested through us and like cry 
and weep and grieve like and feel it and like when we do that it just moves through us so much faster than all the energy that we expend trying to dodge pain and so like I think there's a bigger question here around like trauma and pain and if there's discomfort like we just want to pave over the cracks or it's like appear everything's okay like and you know it's all fine and rather than knowing like an intelligent uh awareness and, and collective discussion around how we actually deal with pain as, as a country and as a nation like um and I think there's a lot happening on our land right now like there's a lot of discussions around trauma and pain and there's loads of stuff happening in many different realms which I think is great and I think this will it will bubble up through the people like you know like it's the people that create change ultimately and when we awaken like to higher levels of how we navigate trauma and our pain and consciousness rises then that will filter into our leadership and we'll choose different people you know and so it's like a slow and steady uh transformation happening in that space does that make sense a hundred percent yeah a hundred percent like we are a traumatized nation who refused to deal with our trauma and what we needed with the mother and baby home was the government to come out and say do you know what we're going to do we're going to have a month of mourning for everything that happened to those people in the homes. We're gonna have a month where we talk about nothing else and we think about them and we talk about them. And we're gonna be, and Michal Martin, I'm going to be at the, the top of the steps of the GPO and I'm going to write checks for anybody or, or what, I don't, this is like, just oh, blow, the, blow the whole thing open. Let's, that's what we need to do. This we need is. to I'm getting my body's been flooded with goosebumps, like listening to you there, like, and it's starting like that Abbey Theatre production that was on on St. Patrick's Day. It was hours like of testimonies, like, holy shit. Like, I mean, the depth, the stories were like, I've never seen anything like it. Like, and, you know, so these things are happening and it's going to, and they had to put a big beam. Noelle Brown, I don't know if you know, heard of Noelle. She's one of the key leaders in the space. They had a big beam of light coming up out of the Abbey Theatre because, um, they said this building is not going to be dark on this day and you know like so they had a beam of light when it was being transmitted like and there's all these gorgeous things like they're happening like they're actually happening and they're creating waves and ripples and the more of us that keep showing up and having these conversations and you hold such a beautiful space Keith like I've listened to your podcasts and like this is important like this conversation what you're doing and there's lots of other people doing the same thing, right? And it just will all start building and rippling and things will start to move. Yeah, you'd have to hope by just by talking about it and 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 like just doing as much as you can. And and like I I, I, I know that people would say, well, you can, you know, what's you know, what good can you do on Twitter if you retweet something or if you you know, but if you if you if you get involved on the ground on your podcast on Twitter. You know, it all adds up, you know, it's, it's, you know, you can, every, if everybody does their bit and refuses to accept um, the status quo, um, it does work and it can work. And, and I just, yeah, I'd love, I'd love for, you know, we are the generation that can sort of stop the, we don't want to pass the trauma on anymore. We need no. to, de- we, we let's like, and I think we're, I think we're strong enough to, to take it on and de- deal with it. And I think we're, we're ready for it. Um, we are. Yeah, and it's happening like and 
one thing I've been saying lately is honestly, I believe like healing trauma is the ultimate superpower. Like go and do the work, like connect with yourself, get therapy, whatever you have to do. Like, and that's why, you know, I do, I teach meditation because for me, that was the most powerful thing. Like when I started meditating every day, my life started changing like very fast and all it is like is that I'm turning into meet myself like I don't need anything external like you just close your eyes from the external noise in the world and you just dive in and you're just sitting sitting in the depth and, and beauty of your own self and when you do that things start to happen like and in terms of pain I remember and um, I had a man on the course and I think I teach this course it's like three sessions to learn to meditate and after the first meditation he said he'd rage pumping through his system he was like Susan I I want to fucking put my fist through the wall like and he's like I didn't pay you to to do this for me like I'm trying to bloody shit out like and I knew what was happening like you know you're penetrating down through deeper layers of awareness and you know um emotions can get trapped in the fascia and in different impressions in our in our emotional body and mental body and so stuff was just being released and I knew it was just washing through a system it's like the gunk being washed out of your system and then he came back for session two red hot rage again and he's like I was raging all day like I was it was miserable like I just he was like pumping with rage and then he came back for, for session three. So we'd done like four or five meditations. And then he just looked at me and, oh my God, like his eyes were sparkling and he was just smiling and laughing. And he just said, Susan, I feel lighter than I felt in years. Like, what is going on? Like, And all that was happening was that he sat and he allowed that emotion that had been pushed down into a system that was festering in other ways, like... Because when emotion isn't released and felt and experienced, fester and affect cause a whole cause a whole other world of pain for us. Just by sitting down in meditation, all that stuff just started washing out through him. Like he was a different man. Like I'm still in contact with him. And then another guy I worked with, a CEO, he's thousands of staff. It's a global company in the UK, and he came to me for blood pressure. His blood pressure was like 170, 180, really dangerous territory. And he'd be going to the doctor um, every month for the year. And anyway, he all he had done was four meditations with me and he had a, an appointment with the doctor and his blood pressure was 120. This is after four meditations. like. And the doctor said, what in the name of God have you been doing? Like, he's like, oh, I did this course with this one. Like, um, and the thing is, like, he wasn't having mad, blissful experiences. There's a whole, there's a lot of bullshit about meditation that you don't think. You're not allowed to think and you fall into this blissful state. And it's not true. Your mind can be sitting there racing. Um, you know, he was like, Susan, I'm just thinking about work. Like, um, and then his blood pressure has stabilized to at 120. And all you're doing is just sitting. Mm. You're just sitting in silence and connecting with yourself. And I've had gazillion stories like that, like it's beautiful. Um, so just sort of out of all of the things that I've done in this field and therapies and I've done everything, everything, this was the one that just, I was like, oh my God, this is powerful stuff. So I just flew to New York and, and Australia and trained in it um, because 
it just had such a profound impact on my own life. And I just teach others to meditate now as well. Gorgeous, gorgeous. Like all the stories that I hear are amazing. Do you ever teach people to teach other people? Um, I'm not there yet, um, but maybe someday. Um, my training was very very in-depth and I'll always be a student like I'm still I have monthly calls with my teacher it's it's very very deep deep training um and yeah it's it's just so simple and all we're doing is just sitting meeting ourselves like and there's an intelligence to that things just rise up and start moving through our system we get deeper insight all of these things and and I do feel sorry in a way for and it could be you know sometimes I wonder am I delusional have I gone a bit mad you know because once because I once you start looking into these things and once I started going to therapy and start doing meditation and thinking of you know and sitting with my thoughts and you know you kind of I think other people think you've gone a bit mad and you wonder are they right and you're wrong but I do feel like a bit sorry for the government because I do think that there is a <laughs> That, that the work has already started, it's not visible, <laughs> but there's a force there that is working because people are connected anyway. We don't necessarily need to be sitting in the doll and, yeah. and members of the government to be making changes. I know this is gonna sound bonkers. This was a, not some, at all. Not but at the all. change has already started and I feel like they're probably foundering going, what, we can't get a, we can't get a grasp. We can't get control of this. It's gone from us. And what, you know, no matter what they try, you know, whether they try the softly, softly leak a few bits yeah. of news here, if you, you know, put their foot down, be really strong and say, you know, we're all responsible for this. What happened to these poor women? Nothing's working for them, you know? And I think, I think they're bereft. And I think, I think they've, they've run out of ideas and uh, I kind of feel a bit sorry for them because I think yeah, it's, it's, I think it's already started. I hope, I hope I could be wrong. I could be completely insane and uh, and wrong, but that's what I think. It's such like, I do genuinely have compassion for them because could you imagine the stress they're dealing with on a daily basis? Like, I mean, my God, like, I don't know how they do it. Like it's a dog's job in some ways, like what mm. they're doing is so difficult. Um, and like, it's not a case of us and them like we are all in it together and I hope we can all grow up as a nation together and bring each other along like and wake up together um to just a more intelligent conscious aware nation um but I do feel for them like it's not an easy job mm. really isn't like we'll pray for them we'll light candles for them and I will, <laughs> I will think of I will I will send blessings to Michal Martin the next time um, you want to do it now? Yeah. Let's do it. Okay. So send an L, send an L gush of love, like from the heart to all the leaders. And we get everyone listening to this podcast right now, wherever you are in the world. <laughs> send a blast of love from your heart to, to all the leaders that yeah. they, that they, they may, that they may see the way and make the right decisions for not just for themselves and their party, but for for the people of this country. Oh yeah. Can you feel that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love it. We've just we've just changed. We've just we've just affected change. Well that's you know, I I believe that's how it works. Um listen, we I 
look, I don't know. Um, I don't know where we ended up, but I I really enjoyed chatting to you, and and we've been chatting for long enough. And these things can, these things, these chats can take their toll. Um, uh, and I know it, it it can take a lot of energy to do them. So, listen, best of luck with the album. So just give us a date and. Uh, when people can expect can they pre-order now i know you're not very interested in this side of things but i know i am like it's important to be interested in it and of course i want people to buy my record like um so yeah you can pre-order uh my album is called into the sea my website is like susanquirk.com and all the bits and bobs are there so it's coming out coming out april 23rd we'll give it a good out blast um and I've got a song coming out that I'm excited about. It's called The Embrace. It's a pretty banging rock tune um, that I'll be releasing. Uh, I guess it's one of my favourite songs on, on the album. Um, so I'll be releasing that as well. So, yeah, give it a good old lash. And uh, there's a few tunes on Spotify people can listen to in the meantime. And uh, are you doing anything, any events planned around, the, any virtual events around the release? Yeah. Yeah, again, my Rory, my fella, came up with an idea just to have a big Zoom party and get some speakers in and just have the crack and play some songs. So we're going to do that on April 23rd um, that everyone will be invited to. And you so. can find the details on your website? Yeah. Okay, and I'll repeat all this information in the intro as well. Thanks, Keith. Thanks for having me. Oh, no, thanks a million. It was great talking to you. Uh, I, 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 I could have talked to you for a lot longer. Um but uh, I appreciate your time and best look at the album and it's a great story. And, and uh, look, I, I was going to say, you know, you're there already. So. Thanks well, Keith. And well, sure. Hopefully we meet in the flesh um, and finish off the chat and send some more blast of love uh, to the land and to all the people. If we can get the Dalai Lama back and organize <laughs> some sort of, uh, some, sort, <laughs> some sort of love in, you know what? We don't even need the Dalai Lama. All we need is ourselves. Like yeah. I have this fantasy about like, could you imagine like having a TV show like where everyone of the whole country, I love these mass meditation things where everyone's just like brought into the heart, like, and just sending love to each other. And like, oh Jesus, like I've, I know the interview's finished now and I'm still, yeah. But no, no, keep going. <laughs> like I, one of the biggest mass meditations I did was with, over 6,000 people at that Stanford Truth event in Dublin and like when you get that many people coming together and I've done it from the main stages of festivals like um, Electric Picnic and Body and Soul as well and when you get like big numbers coming together to just come just come into the heart like no big fancy stuff it's so simple like oh my god the feeling of it is unbelievable um, so we'd love to do more in that space to bring big, big, big numbers together and just come into the heart. Like it just uplifts everyone so, so simply. Well, maybe it's something we could organize. Yeah. Try and create some sort of mass meditation at some stage and try Can and. Can we? Yeah, I'd be up for it. Because I remember one I did at Body and Soul. Um, there was maybe a couple of hundred people at it. And this man in his fifties came up to me afterwards and he was crying. And he said, what was that? I've never, I've never, he said, he actually says, he's like, that's the most powerful experience I've ever had in my life. And he was bawling. And all it is, is people coming together and coming into the heart, like, and, you know, ultimately all of us humans, like we all belong to each other. Like we're all connected. 
And like when we just move into that space, Jesus, like to break you, it feels so beautiful, like and lovely. And it's what we're all yearning for. So Jesus, if you're up for organizing something like that, I'm in. I'd love to. Yeah, I'll have a think about it and I'll try and talk to some people I know and see if there's something we can do. Um, why not? I mean, we're, we're all kind of, we could do it virtually. We're all we're all available more or less at the moment, you know. And I think I think if you can get people out onto the onto the steps to clap the the health workers, we could do a mass meditation. Yeah. Some evening. Do it. I'll have, I'll have, a, have a think about it. See what feels good in the belly. See what flows. Yeah. Great. Okay. Cool. I'll be in touch. <laughs> Thanks, Keith. Mind yourself. Have a good day. Right, you too. Bye. Best of luck. Talk again. Thanks. Bye. That's it. We started in music. We drifted into a bit of politics and religion and ended up in spirituality and love and light and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, thank you very much uh, for the chat, Susan. Susan Quirk is her name. Into the Sea is the album. It will be out on the 23rd of April and you can pre-order it now. Just go to our website. Uh, just Google Susan Quirk and it will come up. And, and best of luck with everything. Uh, to the Bone is the song you could listen to now on spotify there's a few tracks on there but to the bone is the one um that stands out a little bit for me and uh, the one i've listened to the most and i'm um, really looking forward to the album coming out um anything else i need to say oh the song uh, the embrace as well is one to watch look out for as well um and we blessed the, we blessed the feckin politicians we made them see the light so hopefully they'll change we'll see big changes come from them uh, if not, they'll be in big trouble. Uh, that's it for the Keith Walsh podcast for this evening. i got to go and edit and put up another podcast, me uh, chatting to my friend Mike. It's a good one. He talks about uh, his roots in Limerick, and uh, he's from the very heart of Limerick, and he has an Angela's Ashes story, um, the book Angela's Ashes, and the film Angela's Ashes, but uh, it's very interesting. Stuff I didn't know about Mike. Found out... Find out a lot about Mike in this podcast. Very good. Very good chat. And uh, what else? I can't remember what else we talked about, but it was really good. Um, so listen, if you're new to the podcast, thank you very much for listening. If you're not new to the podcast, thank you very much for listening. If you're if you're an OG, you know who you are. If you want to email the show, it's keithwatchpod at gmail.com. Please give us a please give us a, a rating, a review. Uh, subscribe to the podcast. It's better for the podcast, better for me, charts higher or something. Uh, and also it'll drop into your inbox so you don't have to go looking for it every week. And uh, do tell me, do get in touch and tell me where you're listening. I'd love to hear from you. Um, that's it. Thank you very much to Acast. This is part of the Acast Creator Network and uh, we're very grateful for their support. That's it. Enjoy your evening. A uh, bit of a red sky here tonight in Newbridge in County Kildare. We were expecting bad weather. It was a bit chilly. There was some flakes of snow, nothing too mad. Uh, there was a lot of sun out there today as well. So uh, overall today, 9 out of 10. In fact, it's 10 out of 10 for today. I hope your day was good and I hope you're looking forward to the week ahead. I I don't want to be that dick, but I'm... My energy is just different now without without the booze. And I'm really looking forward to the weekend. I used to almost hate bank holidays weekends because I'd overdo it and I'd be sick. And oh. Anyway, look it. No need to talk about that right now. Have a good day for yourself. Be kind to yourself. I mean, be kind to others if you want. 
but mostly be kind to yourself. Um, and then, and then, if you're kind to yourself, then you will be kind to other people. It's just how it works. Goodbye. Good night. Good evening. Whatever time it is where you are. Enjoy the rest of whatever day is left.